Welcome to the Stone Conversation Podcast, covering everything to do with buying, selling and investing in real estate. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just wanting to start out, Stone Conversations will bring you content to inspire and inform you on your journey. Well, this afternoon's special guest is none other than Tony Trobe, uh, architect from TT Architecture in Canberra. Good afternoon, Tony. Good afternoon, Peter. Thanks very much for joining us today on the Stone uh, Conversations podcast. Um, for those who might be listening now or in the future, we are in June 2020. Uh, we're in the third month of, well, they're starting to ease restrictions now, but in the third month of this COVID-19 lockdown. And as a, as a national uh, real estate franchisor, we've been getting a lot of inquiries people wanting to make a tree change or a sea change. And it's prompted a lot of questions uh, around environmental sustainability, energy efficiency, and so on. So if I may start just with a basic question, um, environmental sustainability, what are the principles there and, and how do you as an architect uh, look to address those? Um, yeah, well, I guess you probably look at um, sustainability as a much bigger sort of um, grab bag than uh, energy efficiency. So um, in terms of house design probably the energy efficiency component um, is probably worth talking about in a bit more detail but um, the, the sustainability goes down to a, a lot of other issues in regard to material selection um, you know recycling um, landscape and all other things but I, I guess initially probably what your uh, listeners would be interested in is probably the, the sort of energy efficiency component of, of housing and that relates um, very specifically to where you live. So um, where we are in Canberra and similarly in the Southern Highlands, the, um, the, the, the climate's very much a, what they call a continental climate. So it's one of the subsets of climate in Australia. So we've got everything from alpine to tropical, but where we operate, generally speaking, it involves dealing with hot summers and um, cold winters and uh, that affects the, the design of the house. So <clears throat> in terms of energy efficiency, um, it's not rocket science, it's pretty straightforward um, equations, there's two or three things that are really important. Mm -hmm. um, first one, most obvious one, would be orientation, and most people understand that orientation is important, so what you need to do in designing your house is ensure that your the long axis of your house should face north, um, and one doesn't need to get too too hung up on the north. Um, there's, a, there's a little thing called the solar slot that we tend to refer to in, in sustainable design, which means that if you point your house anywhere roughly between about 20 degrees east, uh, sorry, 30 degrees east and 20 degrees west, you will then, the, the long axis of the house, all the rooms will face the winter sun. So it's not particularly critical in the winter condition, so long as you're in that slot, it'll still get all the, sun, the winter sun, but what you want to avoid is it sliding out of that arc and facing either, you know, west, northwest, northeast directly, mm -hmm. um, in which case you get hammered by the late afternoon and early morning summer sun. So the orientation is important. Um, uh, Peter, do you want to do this as lots of little questions or do you want to just... Well, no, I think, I think this, is, this is great. You said there were three main principles. <clears throat> orientation yeah. was one. Yeah, orientation um, is an important one. Um, and in, in this climate, um, obviously, well, there's quite a few issues. Insulation is important. It's all very well having your house facing the right direction. And um, what you do is try and collect the, the solar gain. Now, the solar gain just means getting energy through your windows. Now, windows work 
um, a bit like the planet does. It's a sort of greenhouse effect. So what happens is if the sun shines at, I don't know, is it 20,000, 20 million degrees centigrade, but it issues very shortwave radiation. And that's what you feel when you have the sun on your face and the beach. Mm-hmm. Now, glass has a peculiar property that allows that sunlight to go straight through the short wavelength uh, radiation. And it hits something like your, say, your concrete floor. Um, and, and then it warms that up, and we all know what that feels like. Uh, but that, that then radiates heat as well, in the same way the sun does, but it's a, a different wavelength. It's a very long wavelength. And it turns out that glass has this peculiar quality, <clears throat> which is the greenhouse effect, that it doesn't let that long wavelength back out again. It sort of bounces off the window. Right. So it captures, it captures the, the heat in that way. That's the greenhouse effect. That's why, you know, even though glass is a very good conductor of heat, it actually works well collecting energy from the sun in that greenhouse effect. So um, getting, the, getting the, the heat in, you've got to make sure it doesn't get out again. So that's the reason why you would seek to have double glazing and you would seek to insulate the walls and ceilings. So in terms of sequence, probably the most important thing is to get good windows, good windows that don't let the heat back out again. <clears throat> and then you go for the roof and then you go for the walls and you go for the floor. But in terms of the um, the windows, um, they're always the weak point. So you've got to have good windows. Um, and the analogy would be if you think of a uh, say a bucket with a hole in it and letting water out. But imagine the bucket being the house and letting heat out. Mm-hmm. There's no point having a bucket that's you know three or four inches thick and keep making it thicker if you've got a hole in it. And yeah, right. from the purposes of a house, the windows are the hole. So in terms of insulation value, if you've turned a window into a, you know, I think most people are familiar with um, energy rating for ceilings. So you might put R5 in your ceiling or R6 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, an ordinary, even a reasonable double glazed window might only be R0.5. So it's actually a tenth as good as the wall or the ceiling. Um, so what you need to spend your money on is the thing is the weakest link, which is the hole in the bucket, which in housing terms is the window. Well, so having awesome. good windows is where you spend your money. So um, even though you get that free energy from the sun, it can easily get out again if you've got bad windows. So, and, and, um, things, and things like windows, of course, if people were renovating their home, uh, they would obviously be one of the first things that you would look at, as you're saying. So it's not, not impossible to, to have great uh, sustainable design features in an existing home if they were to renovate. Exactly. Uh, windows, <clears throat> I mean, a, a, an ordinary old-fashioned single-glazed aluminium window would be worth, in terms of um, r- our values, ratings, you know, if you compared it to a wall, which a standard brick veneer wall, it might be R3 or 2.7. And the bigger the number, the better. But an ordinary old-fashioned double uh, single-glazed window will be 0.1 R. So wow. it's 20th. So you can see how, ba- how badly they can perform. And that's where you put your you know, if you're going to put your bang for your buck, that's where you get it from, is from the, improving the windows in the first instance. And then obviously the easy thing, I mean, that's an expensive thing to do. The easy things are, you know, additional ceiling insulation and making sure your walls are insulated. So the basic principles are, you know, get the insulation right, get the orientation right. And in our climates, it helps to have heavyweight materials inside the house. So concrete slab generally performs better than uh, the old-fashioned timber floors. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of different ways of skinning a cat. I mean, there's a there's a modern uh, trend now towards 
a thing some of your listeners may have heard about called passive house, which is basically a German term for passive energy um, design. Um, and they have a different model there. In our traditional model, we have the high house with heavyweight materials that collect all that free energy I was talking about that comes through the sun and hits yeah. concrete. Uh, in the other system, which is um, uh, a different approach, it's basically like building the house as an esky. So what they do in that situation is have sort of smaller windows, but very high-performing windows. Uh, you can have a lightweight house rather than a heavyweight house. And what you do is control the ventilation that comes into the house so that you seal the house up really tightly uh, so that air can't leak out with all that heat with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have a heat exchanger that basically, uh, when the air goes in and out, you exchange the, the air and recover the heat that's in the house as you exchange it. So it's a sort of a, it's an esky approach. It's a highly insulated box approach as opposed to the classic passive solar approach where you rely on the sun hitting heavyweight materials and staying warm overnight. So it's a different method. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the passive house in our climate because it does involve basically locking the house up. We've done quite a lot of houses like that, but and they, they perform very well, but I'm not sure they're, a lot of people like to throw their doors open in, you know, in the, in the, even in the winter when they've got nice solar energy coming in. So, so um, the, the it's a different approach. It is a different mm-hmm. approach. Thank you. Yeah. The, the principle that you mentioned before, concrete floors working better than the traditional timber floors, that would obviously refer to solar mass. Is that correct? Oh, well, yeah, thermal mass. It's a very simple equation. So you imagine, um, you know, taking a, a, on your kitchen bench, you've got a piece of toast and you've got, um, something like a, a heavyweight bottle of water or something like that. And you put both in the oven, leave them in there for a, for an hour, mm-hmm. open the oven door, and virtually straight away you could pick out the piece of toast with your fingers. You try picking the bottle out with your fingers, you'll burn yourself. And that bottle will stay hot for many hours. Um, and that bottle basically has high thermal capacity. So heavyweight materials have the ability to store heat, which lightweight materials don't. So that, that, that principle of warming the house up during the day and then allowing heavyweight things to cool down slowly during the night flattens off the, the bounce in your energy, your temperature in your house. So a lightweight house, your piece of toast, will warm up quickly and, cold out, and cool down quickly, whereas a heavyweight house, We'll, we'll flatten out that, that bounce in, in temperature profile so you have a house that's much steadier uh, and stays warm, you know, basically throughout the night. It gives you a, that's, it's storing its own energy from the sun. Sounds great. I mean, in a climate like Australia, Tony, where we have hot summers almost irrespective of where you live, with all that mm. thermal mass, for example, double glazed windows, great insulation, how do you counteract uh, retaining that heat in the summer then? Well, it works just as well in the summer. So the whole point is that you, you get the orientation right. So if you imagine the way the sun moves in the sky in winter, it comes up about, you know, in midwinter, it'll come up to roughly 30 degrees north of east and then go in a really shallow arc. And you can see it going across the sky in a shallow arc. That's about 30 degrees north of uh, west. Um, and, you know, you point your house in that and you'll get all the winter sun. But in the summer, it, it does the opposite. It, it comes up about 30 degrees south of east mm. and goes in this great big high arc across the house. And then you, what you do is you have a decent sort of eve, maybe only be 600 mil or something, half a meter sticking out uh, above the windows. And because the sun's so high, it'll cut all that summer sun off that could hit the windows. And then it sets south west, uh, 
And so, so long as you don't have too many windows where the sun is low on the west and the east, you're not going to get that extra solar gain that you don't want. Uh, and what you do will be absorbed by the um, by the heavyweight material. Again, the house won't heat up quickly or cool down quickly. So the effect of heavyweight materials flattens out the summer um, summer condition really well. So you end up having cool houses. And you can see that even, you know, you go to Europe or something, go to a cathedral, even on a hot day, it'll be cool. Yeah. Go down a mine shaft or something like that. So that, that heavyweight material very much flattens out those those spikes in temperature. So um, it, the summer condition is dealt with by good orientation. Yeah, great examples that, that you're giving. Makes it very easy to understand. A question that's come up quite a bit also is around solar panels. You know, are they worthwhile installing? The government incentives? Will I save money on my power bills? Uh, have you got some thoughts around that? Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I think the whole world's going in that direction. The panels have been cheaper and cheaper, more efficient over time. Um, and we'll all be moving to electric cars eventually, I presume, and, and, and self-heating. It's, it's one of those things that's, that makes... Uh, economic sense just about in the current uh, climate just just on your bang for your buck but it's also uh, an investment in lifestyle and sort of you know the, the having a house that's warm and comfortable is is great so um, yeah look I, I it's just one of those things it's like other things that you you do in a house some things you can um, you're investing you know in the short term things some things you you so say buying nice um, Windows is good because you can't fix them up later. Um, some yeah. things you might put in, but you can change later. So um, PVs, photovoltaics, the collection of energy um, is something you you know you can clip clip on later. But it's it's just a cost thing. So you're paying for your future energy cost up front. So a decent photovoltaic system for a standard sort of you know family house of you know 250 300 square meters with the batteries and all that sort of stuff might cost you 15 grand. So that's 15 grand you're putting into the piggy bank against future um, sure. fuel costs. So it's sort of upfront cost rather than an ongoing running cost. So if you've got the dough, it's certainly worth doing. And uh, it's a good investment in your own future and lifestyle. Well, to get a return on investment, if you live in a cooler climate where you're constantly heating, I mean, having heating bills of 800 to to $1,000 a quarter isn't uncommon. So, I mean, four or five years, you've you probably got that return on your investment, right? Then again, you're, you're revenue neutral or you're selling excess power. Yeah, sure. You'll certainly go past that point where you you, you, you are more than revenue neutral, yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, look, it's just, it's just a cost thing, really. I mean, you can get started with much cheaper systems whether you want that batteries on what but and how many kilowatts and how big your house is but you can certainly get advice from some of the solar companies big business now um the whole photovoltaic array thing you just got to make sure so that you've got suitable roof space to stick it on sometimes sticking them up on brackets on roofs can look a bit ugly but um, mm. um yeah i mean it's not particularly critical some people get a bit hung up on saying well i can't have it on the flat roof well you can you just got to put a couple more panels because the efficiency drops a bit, but not hugely if you lay the panels flat. We've certainly done houses where we, you know, we, we might have had, you know, 17 panels and you go to 19 to make the same equation work. So it doesn't have to, uh, you don't have to pop them up on brackets all the time. You can sometimes get away with a slightly less efficient panel if, if you're more concerned with the aesthetics. We've seen. Or you um, don't have a roof. Yeah. yeah. 
we, we've sorry to cut across you there, Tony. No, no, sorry, no, 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 no. I was just going to say we've, we've read it quite a bit, and and I've certainly seen uh, articles and blogs and so on that you know people in China can see the sky because of less air pollution over this COVID mm. lockdown, or uh, you know the the canals in Venice are, are running clear again. So I think people generally are saying you know what, less pollution, obviously good for the planet. This may be spurring quite a bit of this inquiry, but if people wanted to investigate either renovating their own home, um, making it more energy efficient, building a new home, having that tree change, and they wanted to engage you or an architect, um, and I know you're one with a lot of experience, what would be the process? They, they would ring you, and then and then just in a nutshell, what's the process uh, for a person to, to renovate or, or build a home with an architect? Well, I guess the thing is to do your homework and check on um, architects perhaps that, that, you know, look at the website. Most architects have a website, make sure that their sort of ethos and perhaps their design style suits. So um, you might find someone who does lots of houses that are the same, but they're the ones you like. You might find some architects who are a bit more versatile. They do, you know, basically respond more to the, the client's needs. You can ring the Institute of Architects to give you a list of, of, of local architects that, um, you could approach, so do the, the, the due diligence, maybe interview a couple. I mean, we get people in here all the time for preliminary chats. They don't usually cost anything. And hopefully, you know, after an hour, they'll learn, at least learn a lot about the process, even if they don't end up engaging that particular architect or us. Um, there's a, you know, there's a sort of process then of teasing out what the, the client's brief is. And, and that's complicated, you know. There's, all the site issues, some of them we've talked about already. Um, there's, you know, the, the budgeting issues, how much the buildings cost. Hopefully uh, your architect can uh, give you some clues about that. There's a big advantage in, I'd say, using architects due to the fact that, um, you know, if you employ an architect to design a house, they will um, usually expose the, the, well, they should expose the project to the market. So it seems bizarre that a lot of people go from my perspective, directly to the building companies, and and basically, you know, they say, "Oh, the, the designs for free. We'll just do that for you." It's not as if they've got, you know, an architect or a building designer chained up in the back room feeding them bread and water. <laughs> you're still paying. Well, you're still paying for it. You just don't know. You just don't own it. So um, there's a big advantage in owning the design. Yeah. So I think over the years, we, I did, used to do a little survey of of when we were sent our projects out to various builders to price that, um, you know, when you go to the market, the builders are much more keen to sharpen their pencil. Um, and the average difference between the top and the bottom price that I did in a, in a survey, I did of you know, 20 or 30 projects, was 26% difference between the top and the bottom tenderer. So, you know, that's a lot of money if you're talking about a, you know, seven or $800,000 house. Yeah, um, exactly. I had one in, I had one in this morning, the final pre- um, price for a house in um, just outside Canberra on a rural block, um, and the prices for the house, it's a nice house, it's a big house, were somewhere one of the prices, the lowest price was 1.4 something, the highest price was 2.2. Wow, that's million. a variation. So that's that's a massive variation. So I'd like to think that's something, you know, I, I, I you know, perhaps make an offer to your <laughs> to your listeners if it's a slightly tongue in cheek, but come to speak to an architect or us and don't pay us any fees, just pay us half the difference between the top and the bottom <laughs> tenderer and they would take that as a fee. I'd be a very rich man. 
Well, so no, I exactly. Think the, I think it's a really good point you make because a lot of people think, oh, well, I'll get a draftsman or, or I'll go to, you know, a project builder. But exactly like you're saying, if a professional architect like yourself tenders the project to two or three builders, uh, you do this every day of your life. You're an expert. I'm not. I, I sell homes or somebody else, you know, is a chef or whatever. But you could save your fees for that client uh, just on the building costs and looking at variations and managing the project alone, I would imagine. Well, I like to think many times over. Yeah, it's just that perhaps people don't value that or don't see that as a. They don't really. I mean, they'll understand anything else they buy. It seems to me that they'll understand that. You know, if you go and shop around, you'll get a good price for something. But when it comes to building a house, they go directly to builders, and I'm going well. Really, you know, you go straight to somebody, and they you manage to walk in and say, "Okay, well, I want you to do it." Well, are they going to be super competitive? Probably not. They've got you. Um, they've got you in basically, and you you don't own their. The design you can't take that to another builder and get that quoted so i think people miss the notion that there is the market can work on on um you know on tendering houses in the same way it does on everything else mm. and there's a substantial saving to be made in in that component which would usually vastly outweigh anything you'd pay the architect i think that's a really good point and for anyone listening to this podcast now or in the future uh, it's Tony Trobe we're speaking to from TT Architecture in Canberra. I would absolutely strongly encourage you to have a look at Tony's website. He's got a number of blogs there. He's got a beautiful portfolio. Uh, and I say this in all honesty, Tony, I haven't met you before, but I have seen mm. your work and I think the quality of the work and just the design is, is not only pleasing to the eye, but obviously very uh, environmentally friendly and it just looks fantastic. So, Tony, we, we really appreciate your time this afternoon talking to us on the Stone uh uh, conversations podcast and uh again thank you for your time and, and we wish you well okay well thank you very much peter it was nice to chat thank you okay thanks thanks for joining us on the stone real estate conversation podcast make sure you visit us at stonerealestate.com.au now if you haven't done so already make sure you subscribe to the podcast on itunes or your favorite podcast player while you're at it, if you found value in the podcast and the conversations on today's show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or simply make sure you tell a friend about the conversation we had. Be sure to join us on our next episode with more information on buying, selling, and investing in real estate. Bye for now.